Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is Kyle. I get the privilege to serve here on the leadership team. And uh, usually they just give me five minutes to talk this morning. They gave me 55 minutes to talk. So uh, I'm ready to go and uh, get started. Hey, if you're new, we're so glad that you're uh, coming to Family Church. Maybe you've been coming for a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. uh, But we do want to let you know to get more involved, to get it plugged in and learn more about Family Church, a next steps class is your next step. And you can come. It's uh, once a month and we offer it next Sunday right after the third service. And so if that's you, we would love to uh, invite you and, uh, and to see you there. Well, um, I also want to let you know that you can always find the sermon notes on the website at familychurch.xyz slash notes. You can always find sermon notes with scripture references and, and main points of the, the message. I'm going to read a verse in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love chapter. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing about love, and many people have this read uh, at their wedding. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, Paul says this. He said, love is patient. And that's not even the whole verse. There's actually more to it. And there's a whole lot more in that chapter, but we're going to pause right there and see if we can get this part right. Because my hunch is that some of us have some work to do on patience right here. There's two great enemies of love that I'm going to propose to you this morning. And the first enemy of love is hurry. Because you can't hurry and love. They're not compatible. Paul tells us that love is patient. You can't be in a hurried rush and love those that are in your path. Now, Lauren and I were high school sweethearts, my wife Lauren. We met when we were 14, and um, we didn't go to the same school, though, uh, because I was homeschooled, so that would have been weird if we would have went to the same school and been high school sweethearts. And uh, I want to go back in time to the early 2000s. Think AOL, AOL Instant Messenger, like a few years after Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and You've Got Mail, right? Past the 90s into the early 2000s, right, it's NSYNC or Backstreet, it's Brittany or Christina. That's the time period of where, before the iPhone, right, before everyone has a cell phone, it's Instant Messenger. So Lauren and I's love blossomed on Instant Messenger because she lived 30 minutes away. I was in Wellsville, she was in Olathe, so we connected on Instant Messenger. Mavs Basketball 13, chatting with Lauren Fox 06. That was where the true love started. Now, eventually I got up the nerve. I need more connection. I need to talk to her on the phone. So I would call her landline, 913-780-3203, and I had to deal with the awkwardness. Maybe her mom's going to answer. Maybe one of her brothers is going to answer, and I have to be the nerd that says, hey, is Lauren there? Can I talk to her? And I remember early on talking to Lauren for hours on the phone. And, of course, following the rules of puppy love. The rules of puppy love says you can't hang up first because then you don't truly love them. So we talked on the phone for a long time. And then we could text messages. We got uh, a little bit older, I think around 16. Uh, I remember texting her when I was 16 and 17. And did anyone ever get a bill in the mail? Because text messages cost five cents each. And my mom and dad had a long talk with me because the phone bill was $225. And they wanted to know how I could possibly send 4,000 text messages in one month. It's actually not that hard, as some of you know today. My mom and dad had a long talk, and mom was disappointed. 
somewhere along the line in our relationship, we lose some of that patience that maybe we have early on. I want to go to the Genesis account, Genesis chapter 2, to look at the first love relationship between a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and Adam begins to serenade Eve in verse 23, saying, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's the end of chapter 2. They felt no shame. God could have put any word in the Bible right there instead of shame. He could have said they felt no fear. They felt no worry. They felt no depression. They felt no anxious thought. He said they felt no shame. Because God wants us to know today that there's one thing that he created us to never know the burden of, and it's shame. God did not create us to know the burden of shame. There's so many, we feel it, we feel it on our back, don't we? There's two great enemies of love. The first one is hurry, and the second one is it's shame. Here's the truth about the enemy. Right? We have an enemy out there. If you are saved, if your soul is sealed until the day of redemption, then you can rest assured that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God when you die. And there's nothing that the enemy can do to stop that. But what he can do is he can get your effectiveness. He can take away your fruitfulness, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to put you under a crushing burden of shame so that you are rendered ineffective because he knows on the other side of your freedom... When you find freedom from shame, you can walk in the purpose that God has for you. You can share the gospel on the other side of that freedom. You can know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference, but but Satan wants to cripple us with shame so that we are rendered ineffective and paralyzed. And we wonder, man, is this all there is? Because I got saved, and man, my life's still super hard. And it's not about life being easy, but it is about the purpose that God has for you. On the other side of our freedom, that's what God has for you. He wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you to walk in freedom. But so many of us still carry around that burden of shame. And the truth is this. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time heals clean wounds. But it just festers if it's not clean. And so many of us have shame that festers for years, for decades. And it paralyzes us. I want to distinguish between guilt and shame. They're two different things. Guilt says, I did something bad. Guilt is action-based. It's not a bad thing to feel guilty. It can be a good thing to feel guilty because we can change our behavior. We did something wrong, we learned a lesson, and we corrected course. Shame says, I am bad. We internalize it. It becomes part of who we are. 2 Corinthians 7.10 puts it like this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That's what shame does. It's worldly sorrow. It just brings death. Brene Brown has this definition of shame. Maybe it will resonate with you. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Now, I don't know the source of your shame. It could be perfectionism. It could be feelings of inadequacy. It could be a secret that you have that you stuffed so far down, you know it's never going to see the light of day. 
It could be something that happened to you. It could be past regrets, past mistakes. But God wants you to find freedom from your shame. Because on the other side of your freedom is the life that God has for you. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is truth and there is freedom. We can walk in freedom and that's what God has for you. I want to take a look at what happened to Adam and Eve once they experienced shame in chapter 3. So let's take a look at the first few verses of chapter 3. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. Notice Eve added on there. Or you will die. Verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that what you eat, that when you eat it from your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Think about how stressful, how frantic, how hurried that sewing must have been to try to cover themselves. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And Adam doesn't answer the question, but he does respond. He says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. He was afraid of God because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman that you put here with me, shifting the blame around, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. This is the very first scenario that sin produces in the human heart. It produces shame. It produces hurry. It produces frantic activity. And this is why we hurry. This is why we rush. It's because we're not good at being alone with ourselves. There's something in our lives that we're not proud of. Have you ever met that person that always has the TV on? It's will of fortune, but nobody's really watching it. You know? Have you ever met that person that's always listening to music? Alexa, play shuffle. For me, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Same thing, just noise. I need that noise. We got the noise machine for our kids. There's one thing we're not going to forget on a trip, an overnight trip. It's we're going to remember the noise machines. Because we're very comfortable with noise, and we're not comfortable with silence. This is the condition of the human part. There are things in us that we don't want to have to process, that we don't want to deal with. I don't want to deal with my anger problem. I would rather find another game to watch or show to watch. I don't want to deal with a tendency in me to be aloof and distracted. I would rather watch another episode of Shark Tank than deal with that. And so we fit into, the, fit into the flow of culture. And frankly, the world goes at a pace that is hurried, rush, frantic, and not patient, and not still. Yet the Bible describes stillness, pace, rhythm, rest as crucial to following Jesus. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes our problems are so big and our God is so small because we don't stop and are still. 
Jesus says, come to me. Hey, if you're tired, if you're worn down, if you're weary, come to me and I will give you rest. But sometimes we don't come to him. Sometimes we don't cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. We try and carry it all ourselves. Recent studies show that 47% of the time, our mind is somewhere else where our feet is. Because we can be that, we can escape that easily, can't we? With our devices. With our mind just going somewhere. Now, many of us, candidly, our age tells us we don't need to slow down. We're good, right? Things are going well. I'm making more money than I did two years ago. Our success tells us we don't need to slow down because, well, I just got the promotion. Well, I got the, I, I'm accomplishing this, right? Well, we have this next thing that we're working towards. Our physical health, I'm all right. I, haven't, I don't need to go to the doctor. We, we think that we're okay, and we have these factors in our life that say, just keep digging in, just keep pressing on. Go, go, go. You're on the right track. But when God comes to Adam in the garden and he asks the question, where are you? God isn't saying, where's your physical latitude and longitude coordinates? What is he asking Adam? He's saying, where's your soul? Where's the spiritual condition of your heart? That's what he's asking him. Where are you? And sometimes God asks that to us, doesn't he? When we're so busy, when we're so rushed. God says, where are you? Come on, come spend some time with me. You haven't been praying like you used to. Shame causes us to hurry. Three reasons why. We see it in Adam and Eve, and I think many of us may see it in our own lives today. Number one, we want to hide. We want to hide. Adam and Eve hid. Going fast and being busy provides a barrier for us to to hide behind. And if everybody else is busy too, then we don't feel guilty about it. So if I fill my days and I fill my thoughts, it could be a book that I need to read, it could be a show I need to watch, it could be working extra, but if I fill my days and I fill my thoughts, then I can hide behind something that maybe I should deal with. We stop coming to church every Sunday, we stop reaching out to friends we were once close with, we don't ever take the time to be vulnerable because that feels uncomfortable. Recently, my youngest, Nellie, we were at the dinner table, and she spilled her drink, and she saw the mess, and she felt shame. So what does she do? She lowers her head, and she walks down the hallway to her room because she doesn't want to deal with the mess that she made. It's easier to lower my head and walk away than it is to try and clean up and process what I just did. So we hide. Have you ever gotten fast food? Now, if you're like me, if I get fast food, I have to ask Lauren if she wants anything. So sometimes if I get fast food and I maybe forget to ask Lauren if she wants anything, i got to destroy the evidence. So I take the trash and I put it at the bottom, right? I stop at Burt's and I don't get gas. I just put the trash away. And then I roll down the windows no matter how cold it is to get the smell out, right? To get that French fry smell out the window. We hide, don't we? We delete the browsing history. We hide. We delete the text messages or the emails, we, we hide because we don't want to deal with something that's there. Second thing we do is we avoid. We avoid. We avoid something that we probably need to do. See, you and I still operate, we still work from a, fundus, a premise that is fundamentally opposed to the teaching of Jesus, and that is that we should be ashamed, we should be embarrassed, we should be humiliated by weaknesses, by shortcomings, by failures. Jesus never taught that. That's not in Scripture. You know what's in Scripture? 
Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation, no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's scripture right there. But we avoid because there's something that we don't want to deal with. And when we talk to people, we get together with some friends, we hold back what we're really going through. We leave that last 10% out because, well, we don't want to burden them with our problems. And when we finally get to the place where we're honest, this is how deeply shame is ingrained in our culture. When we finally get to the place where we're honest, you know what we have to say? We have to say, well, to be honest. Well, if I'm completely honest, here's what's going on. Because we're so used to wearing a mask. Because we're so used to putting on armor to protect us. Because we don't want to be vulnerable. And we don't want to be weak. And we don't want to feel judged. Because if we feel, if they really knew me, They wouldn't love me. They wouldn't accept me. I wouldn't belong. They wouldn't like me. And so we hide. And so we avoid. And can I be honest? See what I did there. The the, the cancel culture that we see on the internet, it's exactly this thing. Shame has people paralyzed, and so they point the finger at someone else. And they say, I'm going to cancel you, because if I cancel you, then maybe I won't get canceled, because I'm the one doing the canceling here. See, those that use shame are crippled by it. And that's exactly what we see in our culture. People that are crippled by shame, pointing the finger at other people and using shame to try to protect themselves as a front. So we hide, we avoid, and we hear those voices in our head, those toxic thoughts of shame. You're a fake, you're a fraud, you're not gonna make it, there's no way out of this, you got shortcomings. Don't trust people, don't be open with people, they won't accept you. And so we hide, and we avoid. And we do really dumb things that go against what we actually want. See, I want to be close with my wife, but you know what decisions I've made? I've made the decision to sleep on the couch downstairs sometimes because I have shame in my life. And I would rather go sleep on the couch and avoid it and hide than deal with what Lauren and I need to work through. And here's the ultimate reason why we're so rushed and we're so hurried. Reason number three We think we can handle it ourselves. We hide, we avoid, and we think, well, I can handle this myself. I don't have to tell anyone. No one ever has to know. I'll be the exception. So instead of running to love and forgiveness, what did Adam and Eve do? They ran to leaves. They're sewing leaves together. There is no thread and there is no needle. And they are sewing leaves together to try to cover up because they feel shame. And 6,000 years later, we kind of do the same thing. We don't run towards love and forgiveness towards those closest to us. We hide, we avoid, and we think, I have to handle this myself. And people say, well, I can't be weak because I'm the leader, because I'm the spouse, because I'm the parent. And we say, I got to grind. This is my season. I can't. I got to get up early. I got I to gotta stay late. I got I to. And we push and push and push. And then we act out and we explode and we mess up. And you know what happens next? Gossip spreads the news. Hey, did you hear about, did you hear about Mike? Well, I mean, you know Mike, right? You know. Here I thought I had a rough COVID and then pff, Mike happened. It's another form of shame. Or we hear news and we act super, super shocked. (gasps) We gasp. It's another form of shame. Or we use sarcasm. It's another form of shame. All these shames in its various forms, we're 
We're just so comfortable using them. Culture just says, this is how you act. And it's another way of passing on shame. And God says, all of that is gone by my son Jesus. When Adam and Eve messed up, you know what God did? God went nowhere but towards them. Think about this. The only friends God had in the whole world, they just broke his heart by disobeying and making a poor decision. And the only thing that God did was went straight towards them with love and provision. What does God do? God goes and kills an animal and takes the animal skins and says, here, you are now covered. You are now whole. You are now taken care of. God gives love and provision. Now notice, God had to kill an animal to do it. There was bloodshed and there was death. And then there was covering and provision. As if to point us to the fact that we're all going to need the Savior, whose death and bloodshed will bring provision and covering once and for all from shame, from mistakes, from shortcoming. That's what Jesus did for, for you and I. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it like this. If anyone is in Christ, think of that, inside Christ, you're covered. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old, the shame is gone. The new is here. This is what God has for you. The shame is old. It's gone. You are a new creation. Billy Graham had a quote that I love. Billy Graham said this. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to to convict. It's God's job to judge. My job is to love. We're not going to use shame. We're going to love. That's what God has for us. There is now no condemnation, no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we love to tell the world, Jesus can save you, but he can't save all of me because I still have shameful thoughts every single night about how I'm not enough, how I'm not good enough, how if people really knew me, they wouldn't trust me, they wouldn't love me, they wouldn't accept me, they wouldn't believe in me. But that's not who you are. Think about this. When God comes to Adam and Eve, you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, you are forbidden fruit eater. That's what you are because what you did is what you are. That's not in God's economy or God's vocabulary. He doesn't say that because you are not what you did. You're not that lust. That's not who you are. You're not that anger problem. That's not who you are. You're not that eating disorder. That's not who you are. Because God covers all of that and he makes provision. He comes toward us with love and provision making a way. He didn't say, you messed up and that's what you did. You're disobedient, forbidden fruit eater. He doesn't do that. He comes towards us with love and provision. You know the only thing that God gets mad at in this story? He gets mad at Satan. He says, Satan, come here. And he curses the snake. That's the only time God flexes and shows his power. To Adam and Eve, he says, oh, I love you so much. Let me, let me take care of this. Just, just come here. I'm looking for you. I'm coming for you. Where are you? So we have a decision to make. We can believe and accept this great, big, loving God who makes a way, who takes our sin and shame once and for all and makes us a new creation, lets us walk in freedom with a plan and a purpose, or we can hide we can avoid, and we can keep pretending like whatever we did, whatever happened to us, we just need to handle it ourselves. No, thank you.
the only way to heal from your shame is to move your focus on what you did to who Christ is, to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's where our focus is. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He writes your story. He finishes our faith. And so sometimes when those toxic thoughts come, when those shame thoughts come to your mind, right, and they tell you those lies, right, that you're not good enough, that people won't really love you if they really know you, that they don't trust, this is what you do. You take that thought and you replace it, right? You don't, it's, I am not horrible because of Christ I am forgiven. I am not broken because of Christ I am healed. I am not what I did because of Christ I am a new creation, righteous in the sight of God. I am not unwanted because of Christ I am loved. That's the truth right there. I'm not enough, but Christ in me is more than enough. Be still and know that I am God. We can meditate on the truth of Scripture. We can pray for the peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding on our heart and mind. And God, the name of Jesus, is a, is a strong tower of refuge. We can replace that shame and toxic thinking with the truth from God's word. He can renew our mind. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for the finished work of Jesus who made a way, who once and for all took our shame, took our sin, and, and made us right in your eyes. We're so thankful for the relationship that you want with us. And Father, I pray for anyone in here that struggles with shame, that struggles with feelings of, of not being good enough or inadequacy or that, that we are what we did, Father, I pray that you will bring your peace, your healing, your comfort, and your provision in a fresh new way in these minutes and moments and in these days. Thank you, Lord, that we can look to you and that you come towards us with love and with provision. We love you, Lord. And Father, I pray for anyone here that maybe you want that, but, but man, you're not even sure where you're at with God. You, maybe you feel like God is a million miles away. You can make the decision to become a new creation just like that verse described. You can make that decision to take on the righteousness of Jesus and be hidden and all your shame be gone to take a step towards freedom. All you have to do is make that decision and, and, and pray. Say, God, I admit that I've messed up. I believe that you conquered all by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for, for your forgiveness and healing me. And I make the decision today to follow you. In Jesus' name.